Welcome to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance, where top-level COOs share the insights, tactics, and strategies that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. May Steigler serves as the Chief Operations Officer at Organifi and is responsible for the alignment and development of people and processes, aiming to improve everything she touches. May's background is in research and development in the agricultural industry. After graduating with a degree in animal science and nutrition, she passionately worked towards early education of illness in the dairy industry, striving for positive change in animal longevity and decreasing the overuse of antibiotics. Later, May's focus shifted to human nutrition as she entered into the health industry with a fascination in behavior change and positive psychology. Meeting Drew Canoli, the Organifi's founder in 2011, May worked alongside him to build FitLife TV, a health transformation digital marketing and content startup. They built a community from several thousand to over three million on Facebook, a digital membership and coaching certification program and a video content creating machine. In 2014, Organifi was launched and her previous CEO, Drew, was a co-founder. May was recruited and was instrumental in the company's growth and build out of the new roles such as influence marketing, human resources and operations, and then shifting from digital content marketing company into a physical products and superfoods giant. They provide invaluable learning, or May, sorry, has been provided invaluable learning as she grew the company. Currently, as the COO, May has collaborated with her co-founders and team, and they've hit the Inc. 500 three times in a row, which is not a small feat. I'm also proud to say that May is a member of the Elite COO Alliance National Program. And if you're second in command of your company and would like to apply for membership, please visit us at thecooalliance.com. This coming September, we have a special CEO-COO event. And if either of those interest you, again, visit us at thecooalliance.com. May, welcome to the podcast. Cameron, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for that intro. Yeah, I'm kind of tripping over myself. I'm in the process of, uh, of moving houses right now. And I think I've just been a little tired with everything going on. And I started to stumble over my words because I was thinking I was more excited just to chat with you than continue on with the bio. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Cameron. Yeah. So why don't you give us, um, give us a little bit of an overview as to what Organifi is right now, the kind of the scope, the size of the company, just so people can wrap their heads around it. Because it was even bigger than I imagined it was when we first met. Absolutely. Thank you. We're based in San Diego. We are, like you intro a superfood company. We formulate our own products here. They're the highest quality USDA organic, typically vegan plant-based. And uh, we're starting out kind of as more science nerds trying to biohack our own health and develop that into a full product line. Our company here is we have about 55 full-time W-2 employees and about 100, 110 total employees. Um, yeah, it's kind of wow. the, the initial scope. When you started Organifi, was it a startup literally from scratch or did you migrate some of the employees over from FitLife TV? 100%. Yeah, technically I'm employee number two. So was the first hire with the founder, Drew Canoli. And it's been an incredible journey since. And you know he was making basically YouTube videos before it was cool. Um, had 500 videos on YouTube uh, maybe a couple years back and was just blowing up that space before it was something that uh, influencers now typically do. Wow, very cool. Okay, so tell us a little bit about FitLife TV and maybe less about the company itself and more around the learning that maybe you encountered there um, you know, in your role and then and what learning and lessons you brought forward into Organifi. 
Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Cameron. FitLight TV was really a test ground for content marketing, uh, essentially learning the practice of, it seems a little cliche, but giving uh, essentially. So we gave tons of free content as just a kind of how we ran the business was based on our YouTube videos, was creating blogs and content around transformation. So it was really focused on improving our our community's health. So it was all around transformation. And we ran these two video series, Saturday Strategy and Mindset Monday. And of course, the Mindset Monday series was all around um, more psychology and really changing belief patterns. And the Saturday Strategy was all around really uh, more techniques and recipes and around health and wellness. So running that company was what I learned from it was really keeping the customer voice at the forefront. So we were um, essentially one of my first jobs was managing our community and our membership. So we hosted live weekly classes with them mm. and um, we were in the Facebook page. Like you mentioned in the beginning, we grew that from when I first came on, Drew had about 30,000 um, Facebook fans on a Facebook page called Juicing Vegetables. And that was back when people were just learning how to kind of create a key term of interest that created a community. And wow. so that page blew up to 3 million over the next three years. Uh, so really fast growth back before you were essentially paying for that growth. So it was um, a lot of content, a lot of communication, really listening to our uh, customer base and our community. And those were, those were the pretty early days for Facebook as well. I mean, Facebook, I guess, had been around in the college market, but really kind of came into the business world around 2010. So, yeah. or e even, even a little, little bit later than that, maybe. But so how did you guys attract all those early eyeballs? And, um, and do you still carry some of those lessons forward today now in, in Organifi's business? Yeah. And it was totally different. You're right. Back then, uh, we had a lot, a lot of free traffic and it was a whole different experience in the business realm on Facebook. And that was what initially grew our company tremendously uh, before the original algorithm changed a lot. Um, so we were experiencing free traffic. We were um, really using key terms and a lot of just basics of content marketing on Facebook. and. Mm. Um, it was it was kind of the wild wild west back then, I guess you could say, but very different. What we've taken forward uh, to answer your question is using Facebook as a primary paid channel. So we we do the most on Facebook and in paid ads, and it's just a slightly obviously different um, way of doing things, but it's still a primary fight focus and driver for our business. And we our huge focus of our customer service is handling the ads comments. So we do engage very highly with our customer base and are always looking to do more of that. Uh, most recently at the CEO Alliance, we had a great presentation uh, about uh, customer voice and customer activation of feedback. And it was just a great reminder to um, look at the value of doing that and how much you can learn from engaging with your customer base. And for us, a lot of those ads are essentially community-based, but you know they're not customers yet, let's say. But the more we can engage and understand the obstacles to purchasing the product and or the actual pain points that we're solving with the product, as we see testimonials in those uh, Facebook ads threads, the more successful we'll be. So we're always trying to get better at that. And of course, I feel like we haven't nailed it. But <laughs> Well, yeah, and some of that is just like we're stumbling as we go because so much of this is new, right? And we learn either, either through our own experiences or through a little bit of R&D. So one of the first early communities I'd seen on Facebook that really did well was Hal Elrod, who wrote The Miracle Morning. Yeah. 
Um, And he and I co-authored The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs together. And I just recently interviewed his second in command, Tiffany, on this podcast. So they do an unbelievable job with engagement in the community. Do you study other communities online or where did you guys gain in your skill sets to do that? I think it was just practice in in our own and um, having a membership that was based on a Facebook group. And it's interesting to see, like, we, we don't do that anymore. So we don't have our own Facebook group for our customers. We have a Facebook page for our customers. But a lot of uh, the transition that we essentially, over the last year, we built on a call center. So we actually have an in-house call center in San Diego, which is very rare and relatively unique. But this allows us to not only hear the conversations of our customers, it's a, a hybrid CS and sales floor. So we're experiencing um, anywhere from... 400, well, actually, I guess more like 800 to 1,000 inbound customer calls. And, uh, and yeah, and so that's allowing us to, to really um, keep that conversation alive. So I think we've, we've kind of transformed how we're connecting with our customer base uh, rather than maybe a, a closed Facebook group that's a membership like we used to at FitLife TV. At Organifi, we're really seeing that conversation alive and well over the phones and really making that a coaching conversation. So we wanted to add a bit more of a tying in that original transformation focus we had with FitLife with more than just a physical product brand at Organifi and ensure that, you know, we're not just another uh, maybe Vega or something. And obviously they're, they're incredible, but how are we unique from somebody like that? And so really Mm -hmm. trying to continue the in-house product education, um, transformation education for our own our own employees is huge. And maybe we can talk about that later, but we do a, an incredible in-house leadership program that really focuses our team members on their own health and transformation, giving them coaching and, and uh, wellness education that they can really tie into the phone conversations that the CS team is having with uh, customers. It's really cool. Yeah. And I, I want to get into the leadership program in a second as well. well talk, tell me a little bit about how did you get the download from Drew on his vision for the organization and where the company wants to go, both with, you know, with the first business and then with Organifi? How did you get that information? Because often the entrepreneurs have an idea of where they want to take the company, but they're not quite as clear as they think they are with everyone. How did you get clarity to be able to then grow it for them? I appreciate that question. I'm smiling. Um, Drew Cannoli is is an incredibly strong visionary, as most entrepreneurs are. And he is the kind of man that's kind of living in that reality now. So even back when we were working at FitLife, he was talking and kind of breathing five years out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was actually a really interesting experience working with him and, and having to kind of... Um, just recalibrate to realize like, wait a minute, is, is this real that we're talking about yet or no? So he's, he's very, um, very much a, a strong visionary that can speak in clarity to what he sees possible. Um, and on the employee side, one thing he did with me that I think I truly believe shaped our culture was he spoke to what he saw possible in myself as well. So as, oh, as yeah. kind of that second hire and the first person he was kind of growing, you could say, watering, or <laughs> we have a couple ways of saying it, but really working with him to develop, he has one of his like superpowers. So something that we, we love to cultivate and develop in our current staff and, and team is really looking at what are those what are those gifts that we can speak to and and see even before our employees really can recognize and how can we even speak those into existence truly like radically believing in them before they do 
And Drew did that for me from the very beginning and what he knew I would create for him and ultimately what we'd create with FitLife and Organifi. That's really cool. That That's a massive unique ability. And I don't know if I've ever actually even heard it articulated before from an employee about a senior leader. Like, I mean, ever. In, yeah. in the way that he truly believed in me even before we did or believed in employees before they did or, or that's a that's a really, really strong statement that um, that is pretty powerful. And it's interesting when, when we're raising children, I think a lot of what you have to do in raising kids is you raise their confidence and you raise their competence, right? So you raise their confidence and their skills. And the more their skills go up, their confidence goes up. The more their confidence goes up, their skills go up. But I think a lot of leaders really miss the boat on raising the confidence of their team so that then the employees are going to go through brick walls for them and try to figure it out and work harder. Instead, they almost have the model backwards where they're trying to hold everyone accountable and manage them. Um, does this speak to the, the leadership program then or the leadership development in people? Is that a center point on it? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it looks like it is a, a way that we keep a high bar in performance and um, and I guess excellence in that we I guess, anticipate the best from every employee. So it is truly the development, the investment in each employee, whether it be um, with our, our leadership program, which looks like once a month, we have a speaker come in and talk on different topics and a book club that happens, you know, every month and uh, focused development, um, shoot plans almost per employee for development in the key areas um, of, of kind of their their own success. But we do that with the anticipation of greatness for each of them. And, and of course, it's, uh, it's eye-opening to see how much employees are held back by limiting beliefs of their own. And mm. so when another individual can essentially come in without those and speak to those and not expect it in a, uh, you know, a degree of expectancy, but believe in it, it's incredible what team members can, can do and rise to the occasion. That's really cool. Now, so in 2014, Organifi was launched. Was it like mid to late 2014? Was it early 2014? It was October. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. 2014. So really, you've only had three years, three and a half years. Yeah, three years and some change, three and a half years. So three and a half years to go from basically two employees to 55 plus 110 contractors. How are you funded <laughs> we're we're not so we haven't taken on any funding um we and and I, I will correct to a little bit in 2014 we probably had uh, maybe five or six full-time employees oh i exaggerated sorry yeah no that's fine it was 2011 <laughs> that it was just drew and i our current ceo jamel Bedahar was brought on in 2014 2013 perhaps and really uh launched organifi with with drew and the company so he was kind of our first legitimate integrator uh, and we've uh, he's moved into the ceo role is completely um accelerating the company doing an incredible job he has a a uh, incredible mind and um really stepping into the the visionary role and transitioning out of a integrator role so it's really cool to see that transition um, interesting yeah, yeah. So, so, so you're you're in the pure integrator role then, correct? Now, yeah, yeah. So I am sitting in the CEO seat. Jamal is in the CEO seat, and Drew is in the founder role. So he kind of operates as what we call chief innovation officer, and works with our leadership team to innovate. Essentially, yeah, applying that uh, very strong visionary skill set that he plays expertly to. Yeah, cool. Okay. So you've now got the visionary, the integrator kind of terms have been popularized from EOS traction by Gino Wickman. Great book. 
Um, and a lot of my clients actually use those systems. So in the role that you're in, in the COO role, the, the whole reason we even started the COO Alliance was to grow the skill set of the second in command. How do you stay on the same page with the CEO ongoing? What systems do you have in place? What you know, re- meeting rhythms? What, what do you guys do so that you and um, the CEO are always on the same page, you know, always moving the company forward? You said he's a great visionary. Yeah. How, do you, how do you get caught up on the vision constantly and how does he get caught up on the plans that are being put in place? Yeah, so appreciate this question. I feel like it's something we're always developing and I love um, continuing to update and develop our own meeting rhythm and kind of how we run our operations. And one of the key, uh, we started with traction. So the framework of our company, Gina Wickman's right, traction um, book, incredible format for meeting pulse. Uh, we essentially do a daily stand-up, um, a daily huddle at 9 a.m. every day. Uh, the entire um, kind of like managers and above, so the manager team and above. And we go through our primary um, objective for the, the day. And so our, our number one thing, uh, I don't know if you have read the book, The One Thing. But, yep. um, yeah, great book. So our team read that a couple years back. And so we've always done kind of here's my number one priority, the one thing gets everyone on the same page, has everyone connect. So we do have a bit of a remote team as well. So 9am daily huddle, everyone does their one thing that lasts about five minutes tops, maybe even probably less. And then we go over our company dashboards. So we run through all of our uh, metrics. It's all visualized data. So it's a screen share. Uh, and then we typically will do um, quick coming announcements. If it's a birthday, we'll sing happy birthday. And it all always sounds horrible because we have remote team members <laughs> on Zoom. And so it's a nightmare and it's hysterical and we love it. And uh, any any uh, frontline announcements, new hires and whatnot on there. And then we close out with a quote. So that's every day. And then weekly, I meet with my um, CEO. So Jamal and I meet. We do an hour. And I break down the operations side of the business. Uh, he also meets with our C- CMO, Amy Beaver, who's incredible, um, once a week. And she breaks down the marketing side of the business. So right now, we break it up kind of in half. And we run through my one-on-ones with my key, basically, direct reports. And uh, I have them fill out a, a weekly uh, one-on-one assessment. And I, I meet with them uh, for an hour a week. And we run through the dashboards. And get a, uh, an update on what's working, what's not, any uh, obstacles, missing systems, you name it. So it is built on the traction format. We have company rocks and a gigantic KPI board in the in the office that everyone updates once a week and uh, and basically uh, color code those for you know on track, uh, not on track and and below below projection. So pretty visual for all of us. I think DJ drew, um, and myself are extremely visual people. So we need that kind of visual indicator of where we are and how we're doing. We have a, a three by three TV wall that has all of our company dashboards on it that we go over on the daily huddle. So that's live all the time. And then our um, call center, which is literally in the kind of the main floor, has their TV dashboards for their daily sales and um, call wait times and whatnot. So we keep those front and center. Otherwise, it's really hard to keep that uh kind of that transparency on what's moving at the company and certainly feeling over these quick four years, the, the um, feeling of being less in the business. And that's always, um, it's just a challenge, you know, to keep the transparency and keep the communication alive. So I think it's always something we're working on mm. um, to, to finish answering this question. I apologize for the long answer. No, this is great. But, um, we also do a, what we call it, we call it like the hedgehog meeting. It's basically a, I think that may have been from scaling up or um, good to great Jim Collins. Yeah, there we go. Jim Collins. 
good to great. Uh, so we do a hedgehog meeting, which is a once a week hour long meeting with the C-level team. So we just have a little extra time. We also do the level 10 meeting format um, once a week from the directors. So we have a, a pretty solid meeting rhythm. Um, definitely subscribe or subscribe to your book. The uh, meetings suck and we try not to have that many and just really focus on the most important ones, keeping them as short as possible. But we do run a 90 minute level 10 meeting, which gives us a little more time to go over the uh, where we are weekly with each department, um, the 90 day calendar. We run through IDS, which is essentially like uh, issues, discussion and solutions and uh, finish up with uh, who does what by when. And yeah, then- you, you guys have really got the right pieces of the meeting rhythms in place, too. It's 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 great to see it because I covered a lot of it in meeting suck and then also in double double. Yeah. And Gino did a great job with the OS traction. But it, it, you often don't see companies really working that hard on the meeting rhythms. And it, it is they are there to support the team and grow, grow people and create alignment and how do you tell me? I was coaching a CEO the other day, and he was saying that his daily huddle really sucks. You know, he's been running it for two months, and nobody likes doing it. <laughs> They've only got thirty people at it. Tell me about the time I when I'm sure there were times when your daily huddles sucked, and and you guys had to unsuck them. What did you do to make them better? And and tell us a specific example, maybe when they weren't working that well. Appreciate that question. Yeah, and I will zoom out for a minute before answering that and say that uh, we we definitely have been there and I think we're there again. So I'll describe kind of what we did previously and where we are now. But um, one thing that I like to kind of the framework, I like to assess um, why we're kind of outgrowing different ways of doing things is the book, um, The Synergist by Les McEwen. We run that um, personality assessment with our team and it's basically visionary processor, operator, synergist personality types. But in the book, he describes these like business phases um, and as you kind of transition between business phases, you know, the first one is like startup. It's kind of fun mode. You go through this transition phase it was kind of rocky and a little messy. And then you get to this um, predictable success uh, mode. And then you maybe go through another rocky stage and you, um, you may fall into like a treadmill phase, which is kind of like more bureaucratic, maybe a little stale. And then you essentially, as the company dies, let's say you do unfortunately go through the full spectrum it's something called like a death rattle or something as the company fails but <laughs> I look at these these first three phases startup fun and uh and predictable success and we kind of teeter-totter between this fun and predictable success mode where we're we're figuring out what we need to continuously work at and what what actually will scale the company and what are the core processes that we need to just tirelessly run and continue to improve it's kind of like that curative process. Mm-hmm. We're out of just like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what works, which was kind of the startup mode. Totally. <laughs> and, uh, and at each of those transition phases, we just found that it was a little rocky. We could feel that it wasn't working. And and that was like just, I think about like our operations, right? So our meeting rhythms are kind of like our pulsing, right? Our communications, even the software that supports us, the technology that supports us at each phase. and And so we would just we would address the elephant in the room. Hey guys, we're recognizing this sucks. You know, it's no longer effective for what we need. Can we zoom in on um, what we'd first do is I always ask for feedback. So, Hey, I did this last week. <laughs> I was like, Hey guys, our level 10 sucks <laughs> or our daily huddle sucks. I would say, so what, you know, what's the value that each of you guys get out of it? I'd love to hear from you first. And so normally elicit feedback, find out truly what's the value. So then the changes we make, we preserve that value and potentially even amplify it. Right. So I love that you actually, 
What I love that you're actually recognizing it and having the discussions with the team and just saying, hey, this sucks. Because I think quite often, A, the leaders try to get all defensive and say it doesn't suck. And they're defensive maybe because they're working so hard or they don't want to be seen as, as being weak. But the reality is everyone knows. It's kind of like the emperor has no clothes. Um, <laughs> like, yes, it sucks. We know. We're super naked. Super and, naked. And, well, now, do you also let the team know that, you know, as a business, we're going to be going through these bumps. We're going to bob and weave and make it up as we go. And everything we perfect today is going to be broken in a year. Do you let them know that in advance? And how do you get them ready for this entrepreneurial journey that, especially as you grow and more, we start bringing in more and more, not corporate people, but people maybe that aren't quite as used to that entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, that's, um, that's something that, Yes, um, we and, you know, as, as a leadership team, I think are, are really focused on figuring out how to do that best. So how to how to bring the team along for the journey. Right. And so it is it does look like addressing the elephant in the room. Right. Always being like, hey, here's where we're at um, being comfortable, not having the answer all the time. I feel like that was a bit of maturing that mm-hmm. a lot of us needed to do as we were learning how to run a business and still, you know, we have no clue what we're doing most of the time. And so just being real about it, like, Hey, we're going to try this on. I don't know if it's the answer. What I love is some feedback <laughs> to find out how close are we, what's working, what's not. So just being relentless and asking those questions that helps. We as a company culturally are, are pretty, pretty good about that. I don't, I don't see too many, too many barriers to asking those questions with any employee. We kind of start that on a cultural level in the very beginning with new hires asking them, hey, what's working? <laughs> kind of the, what is it, the SSKs? So what should we stop doing, start doing, and keep doing? Yep. So we start that conversation immediately. So it has them thinking, wow, this company is open to feedback and they want to hear it. And it's also like really real because with that new hire experience, they're looking at the company from the outside in and they're going to see stuff that you know we are completely blind to because we're in it. So it's more of a cultural approach, I think, or something that um, doesn't feel like we need to, like, I guess, yeah, it's it's kind of the norm, I guess, to ask those questions. Mm. Now you asked, how do we kind of get the team involved in it? And I think it is... Well, and involved, but also just accepting that this is going to be normal, like the bobbing and weaving and making up as we go is just part of our journey. Yeah. Um or change. Change is part of our journey. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it makes me think about um, basically like change management, right? Well, what do they call it now? There's some like super new sexy name for it. Industrial, like organizational change or something. Right. Yeah. But um, really the fascination around it is the involvement with the team, eliciting feedback, having them feel that they have a say in the change rather than it's happening to them. It's happening with them and for them. Mm. So it's a little bit about the positioning of the change. Um, so I, I love to geek out on change management techniques. And a lot of it is having um, one of my favorite techniques is if you have a, a problem employee, make them be the point person for the change initiative. <laughs> oh, I love Yeah, I love that. That works <laughs> so well. Like, oh, that was a great idea. You, you spearhead that. So yeah. I'm, I, one of the reasons I started the, the COO Alliance, I'm in four masterminds myself. And one of the groups that I'm in is called the Genius Network. And one of the other members and I were sitting talking one day. It was Clayt Mask who started Infusionsoft. And we were, um, we were sitting talking about the growth of our companies and, and what we've gone through in trajectory. And I was referencing back to the 1-800-GOT-JUNK days. And he was talking about Infusionsoft's really fast growth. And he was saying that it's very hard for employees to go through more than one double 
in terms of this, the headcount or the revenue size of the company. That if you go from, you know, 4 million to 8 or 8 to 16 or 16 to 32, they yeah. can do that. But it's hard to go from 8 to 16 and 16 to 32 and stay in the role that you're in. Now, it's easier when we're in the C-level role because we can just keep hiring smart people around us to take more off our plates and scale. But how do you, how do you grow the mid-level team and not have them be out of a job as you keep growing a company so quickly? Hmm. Yes. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll give that you a couple sense. things that we do. Um, the first being that we, we ultimately have, have found that some team members were best suited for startup mode. You know, mm. so I think there's there's a bit of just like rudimentary truth to that that people will pre- perform best yep. ultimately in different stages of a company. So yep. it may be that the way the company is running has either an employee kind of outgrows the direction of the company, or obviously the company outgrows the employee's like kind of unique ability. And so yep. we we uh, have a an employee kind of alumni network. So one thing we we always focus on is when and we strive to focus on, I should say, is whenever we are looking at, you know, maybe uh, no longer being the best fit for an employee, our main goal with the exit interview, with even the initial conversation around it is really focused on the employee's benefit. So um, it's kind of like unique ability overlap with company need. So we're looking at, hey, ultimately, is this the best for the employee? And if we're putting an employee or if we're basically running through a bunch of transitions and as the company grows with an employee that was best suited, you know, two years ago for their role, they're probably not experiencing the impact that they want to experience. Yeah. So at some point they're getting frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. So really addressing that, um, we, we've similar to meeting pulses, we've increased the pulse of feedback to a weekly basis. So uh, two years ago we, we started doing quarterly reviews, which was awesome. That was a great start. But what we found, um, we run scorecards too. So what we found was we we had employees make scorecards. They have a, a personal development section and um, and you know an area where they write about the competencies of their role and how they demonstrate that. And we would talk about that and their role specifically once every three months, which was totally not enough. <laughs> we learned the hard way. You know, oh. we didn't want to have to delay those review feedback conversations for three months. That's insane, you know. Especially if you're moving so fast. So. We then started, um, okay, let's have every month we have a conversation. And this is basically to give you some context as managers with their direct reports, right? Yep. So then uh, that was good. We'd be able to look at the scorecards once a month, which was helpful. And then hopefully have more of the feedback conversations um, once a month rather than once a quarter, right? And Are you using now, any tools, any software tools for that? Or is it just having direct conversations? Yeah, we actually this last year implemented Bamboo HR, and that's been ridiculously helpful, um, scalable uh, visualization of our performance reviews like we've never been able to to really benefit from before. So mm-hmm. it was really, really helpful. Um, cool. Got a lot out of that and just made our review process so much faster. And then for our leadership team, just today, I went through with uh, Drew and DJ, we looked over our um, kind of where our employees landed on a grid and it was just so helpful to see it visually for both of them and quickly. So very digestible performance uh, broken out in the department. Really awesome. you, you guys ranked as the, I think the top company to work for in San Diego or one of the top. Do, yeah. do, you, do you measure your net promoter score of your employees net promoter score satisfaction and then also on the customer side at all? 
We do. Yeah. So we run NPS on the customer side. And that's uh, basically we have two different surveys that run. Of course, we have run, run CSAT. So based on like customer satisfaction from the actual customer service experience. But then we also run a post-purchase NPS. And we're looking at our next step, which is still based on API uh, setup, is going to be um, mm-hmm. uh, NPS per product line. So we can get really granular and actually take more actions based on that. So we run it on the customer side. Our NPS is run on a quarterly basis for employees, but we also have a um, two two kind of ratings for our employees on the Bamboo HR side, which was okay. um, our, basically a percentage of our employees that feel highly valued, valued, not valued, and I forget what the last one, I don't even know, because obviously it's like unacceptable if they're there. <laughs> but, uh, so we do have that other um, employee metric that's very helpful to manage by. Yeah, I love the NPS rating as well. Like I, we used it a ton at One Eight Hundred Got Junk, where um, we ranked as the number two company in Canada to work for, and I think our employee net promoter score rating was ninety three percent, and our franchise partners was around ninety eight percent. It was ridiculously high. That's but, very high. But but that was you know we also ranked as the number two company in the country to work for, so it had to be that high. And and I like the data point much better than just an average rating as well. I think it, the average rating just really is a little bit misleading. In fact, like the last COO Alliance event we had, I was disappointed. I didn't think it was as strong. I didn't like the content. Mm. I don't think I'd really given it my all in terms of focusing on the agenda. And I wanted more focused um, agenda topics. You know, this one was on reverse engineering. We didn't really stick to it. And sure enough, the the NPS on it came out at 69%, whereas the past ones were always 85 to 90%. And that, it kind of hit me. And I knew right away without even having to look at the written feedback I'm like, yep, it's accurate. And then, you know, the, the average rating was 8.7 and that could seem like a good score, but yeah. 8.7, you know, 9.3, they all seem kind of the same, but a 69% or a 90% or a 20% on the net promoter score, they don't lie, especially when you get into the negatives. Yeah. Um, how often do you measure your NPS on the employee side? So we were doing it on the quarterly basis. So yeah. now with Bamboo, we can do it, I think, monthly. So increasing that that uh, rating metric. Uh, and a lot of it originally, we were, we're kind of like coming, I feel like, um, much more into uh, utilization of data around employee uh, metrics. We hadn't done a lot of that. It had been based on like, I literally used to run, you know, Google, <laughs> Google survey, I'd just make a Google form and have sure. the team do an NPS survey. So like it was pretty uh, manual. And so now being able to do that, uh, even our onboarding, we've got um, a 30 day kind of questionnaire where they fill out, Hey, was the onboarding what you expected? Uh, it's, it's, I think right around 30 questions and they have a lot of room to uh, drop in their own feedback. And then we do another one at, at 90 and a check-in at 60. So a lot of um, just increased cadence of communication. And that was kind of what I was getting to previously is Mm. the feedback conversation is weekly now uh, versus before we started at quarterly. And before that, we didn't have anything. So it's just that kind of applying the meeting pulse mentality to, um, to our employee feedback and that's probably one of the the biggest um, I think levers because the, you know, the more, the higher frequency you can get that feedback, the faster you can make changes and address issues. 
Well, I've, I've been trying to coach all the, all the companies that I coach, I've been trying to relay this message to, and I, I don't think I've brought it into a CL Alliance event yet, but I'll make a note to, to talk about it at one of the next ones. But it's that I think we, we really overcomplicate business. And, and if we treat a company more like a family, like a really good family, I mean, some of us had dysfunctional families. So no, but, goodness. But when, you're, when, when you're raising children, you don't want to do a quarterly review with your kid. You, you don't want to wait weekly to give them feedback. You do it right away. You know, if your kid does something great, you tell them right away. If your kid does something poor, you tell them right away how to change it. And it's kind of the same thing. I want feedback from my kids on when I'm being a great dad and when I can improve. And I think part of it is opening up the level of communication and trust. And then also really understanding that as long as the conflict is about an issue, not about the person, it's not like you're a bad person. It's you did something poorly or you made a mistake or, the, or you, you didn't give it your best or you something broke. And this is what I, what I observed. Do you, do you train your employees on being comfortable with accepting feedback and realizing that we all have areas to grow? How do you, how do you get them to accept that? Um, and then I'll ask yeah. a second question after. No, that's great. Um, it does start with that onboarding. So eliciting that, uh, <laughs> the, the questions, right? Which we start, stop, keep. Um, having um, just the exposure to our current culture that's very open to feedback. We, ha- we um, sent a, the majority of our company through a leadership um, training that was very, very feedback centric, right? kind of like radical feedback, you could say. And that, that kind of built our leadership team. So that's, you know, they talk about culture being almost like, um, like if you think about like the culture in yogurt or kombucha, like it is the, it's like the culture is the juice. Yep. And so that's what they're coming into. And if, you know, it, it stands out very much when someone is not open to feedback or whether giving or receiving. So it is kind of the cultural norm again. I know it doesn't quite answer your question, but it did take basically sending our team through a leadership development, um, uh, program, just ALA, which is Ascension Leadership Program out here. It's similar to MITT or Landmark, you name it, you know, any of okay. those. Yeah. You prefer. It's a great one out here in San Diego, though. Highly recommend it. But it also is centered around, uh, we teach crucial conversations too. Oh, so perfect. You, you touched on this a little bit in speaking to um, quick feedback. And one thing I was, I, I loved uh, recently, probably in the last couple of months, I just revisited it a couple of months back though, but um, on Entree Leadership, great podcast um, put on by Dave Ramsey's company, right? Um, yeah. They had uh, brought on the, the author of Crucial Conversations and he had talked about the, the best indicator for what he called like company success and ultimately like what will allow you to, to grow your company is the what he called the lag time between when smart people identify a problem and discuss a problem. And I love that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so say, say an employee sees something that's not working, how likely are they to bring it up? And say it goes on for a month or two, or they ultimately leave without saying something like that's highly oh, dysfunctional. Brutal. Yeah. It's completely yeah. dysfunctional. Totally. Totally. So you nailed it when you said, you know, would you like managing your, not managing your kids, but your relationship with your kids, you wouldn't wait weeks to tell them if something wasn't working. You tell them right away. And I yeah. think the core to that is because you care, right? So how we look at, you know, feedback and these conversations that are sometimes challenging because we're bringing up things that don't work is we approach that with caring. You care so much. You want to bring it up. Um, right? The, the saying, uh, to be unclear is to be unkind. So be clear about what's not working, care so much about your employees that you will have that conversation directly because you want them to be successful that much. Yeah. That's huge and, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's more of the mentality that 
we um, demonstrate or practice. And I truly believe it's not really about the tools that you're, you know, giving your team. It's that you're doing it. Yeah. So we look at the areas that are dysfunctional in our business. And the first question we like to ask is, how are we creating that? The leadership team, right? There's a C-level team, whatever. But I like to ask, how are we, because we're tolerating it, right? So this is coming from us. So it's a little bit of like, you know, um, radical ownership or whatever, but it always requires demonstrating that first. So if we're asking our team to, you know, be honest and, you know, take responsibility and give direct feedback immediately, we better be doing it ourselves. Well, I think it goes back to looking at what system is missing or what system is broken that's allowing this to happen as well, right? So it could be an interviewing system where we brought the wrong people in, or it could be a review system or communication protocols or lack of training. But you t- we touched on something, and I think a lot of entrepreneurial companies and high growth, you know, focused companies are really good at finding the things that are going wrong. But it goes back to the basic one minute manager and again, raising kids. If I constantly showed my kids every area they were screwing up, they just start to A, tune it out and B, get a little gun shy because they know they're never going to do well. How do you catch your team doing something right? Do you put the systems in place as a company and as a leadership team to catch your employees and celebrating all the good little things? Like, how do you, what do you do? Yeah, thank you for that. Well, we um, <laughs> we had to build it into our structure. So we realized that some people are naturally, some of our leaders are naturally great at positive reinforcement and recognition. Um, and in order to do that in an effective way for our employees, we actually have all of our employees take the love language test when they first start. And so we understand <laughs> how they will most um, appreciate being recognized. I remember you mentioning that the other day. Yeah, that's so great. Um <laughs> Awesome for, you know, obviously your personal life, but really fun to get to understand our employees when they come in and we have a you know discussion with them about their personality assessments. And I, I love seeing, hey, is it quality time? You know, should I take you out to lunch if I want to appreciate you? If, you know, we want our employees to feel appreciated or is it sending you a gift or writing you a card? Um, maybe, um, you know, showcasing your success in front of the team. So that's on the more personal level to answer your question. We, we really have that um, front and, and center. And then we have them fill out a, a favorite things um, survey when they come on. If their favorite restaurants, their um, you know their ideal day, their favorite music, their favorite sports team, whatever. And managers use that as a way to provide gifts and provide you know uh, recognition and value. So it is personalized. Um, even our team members' birthday presents and stuff. It's pretty much always a gift card, but it's a gift card to their favorite online retailer, you know, or, or their favorite restaurant locally or, you know, so we, we do try to add that. Um, Giftology was an amazing book for that, actually, if you haven't read yeah, it. Great. Giftology is an amazing book for sure. I'm a, a good friend of the founder of it or the, the writer. The um, I'm glad you said you actually systemize it as well. I think it's so important because we tend to see the problems to put the systems in place to find the good parts. I was telling a CEO that I coached the other day about it. I said, when you walk down a sidewalk and if you were looking for the cracks, you would see them everywhere. And, yeah. and you could obviously even look down and say that for each piece on the sidewalk, there's two cracks. There's one on each side of it. But you could also look at the sidewalk differently and say for each crack, there's also two good pieces of sidewalk on each side of it. And yeah. if you look for the good parts of the sidewalk, you'll see them. If you look for the cracks, you're going to see them. And I think we tend to just be so focused on the stuff to improve and stuff to work on and what's going wrong to fix it that we miss all the good stuff that's happening every day. And if we, if we really can continually focus on praising people for the stuff they're doing well, we raise their confidence level up to a point 
that they're going to be so happy to get any of the constructive criticism they need to grow as well. But without it, they do tend to shut down at some point. So it sounds like you guys are doing stuff really well. It's uh, it's kind of like that. Thank you. It's kind of like that. Uh, it's always a work in progress. <laughs> but that uh, foundation of positive reinforcement, I think, allows team members to open up to that feedback. And that's just just basically what you said. But we certainly see that if you don't have enough trust um, initially and um, knowledge that your manager is really here to support your ultimate success, that um, constructive uh, feedback and maybe it's you know areas that you could improve on is a lot harder to handle because you're questioning, hey, is this person you know want me to be successful? So recognition and celebration is really important in a, at our company and it's something that I think over the last year we're really focused on and building out. And now with our every month we do a um, all hands. And we always have Zoom on for our remote team, but in office we have each each department head uh, present on what worked, uh, what we learned the last month, and what the initiatives moving forward are. And it's just a way for us to try to streamline um, transparency across the company and alignment. And what we added to that um, the last three months is is recognition. So we always do team member recognitions. We do a celebration, and just just to have that embedded so that it's consistent and normal. Um, and I feel like it's always a work in progress, but if you had it, have it at least embedded, then you're going to get it done. <laughs> no, for sure. So, okay. So touch on the work in progress part. So you're an amazing leader. I mean, taking the company from a couple of employees up to, you know, 55 plus 110. Um, what are you working on? Where, where is May Steigler a work in progress? <laughs> well, I feel like, uh, there is, thank you for that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the I've done some some personal coaching, I think, recently that was really huge, which was more like understanding my um, my core values. And that was really important, I think, for me as a leader, just to uh, just to get out of my own head, get out of my own way uh, when I kind of if I'm leading the company with you know, kind of a skewed filter, kind of having my own self-limiting beliefs in the way it's just holding the company back. So that was huge for me. So working on yourself, working on myself was um, big. And um, so kind of, I guess a lot of that looked like playing to my strengths as well. So trying to identify where, where am I, where's my attention most valued at the company? Um, and how can I apply? I kind of like to grow some of the departments I, I oversee as when I was in that seat, what would I have most benefited from? And then creating it for those employees too. So it's almost like mm. uh, what if, because oftentimes, um, you know, I've never been where I am now. Um, I don't know what's going to work in the future. I don't know what's going to make the biggest impact right now for us. All I can do is uh, continue to look at the kind of numbers and work with the employees and develop them. So um, it's that, I think... <laughs> Kind of a surrender, <laughs> maybe a surrender. I don't a know. surrender experiment. That's so, such a good book, by the way. Wow. All right, so let's let's flip it then. And for anyone who's listening, I'd love you to leave us with one kind of leadership lesson, something that, and give us a specific of an area where you've really grown and you've internalized that leadership lesson, and something you could pass on to anyone who's listening. Uh, I mean, the first thing I thought um, was the. The practice of, especially from Seth Godin, was ship something. So looking at, huh. <laughs> you know, uh, great, um, great book. Uh, what was the book that he talks about this in? Um, I'm totally forgetting now, but uh, 
his book around shipping something. So I just remember, I remember his blog post about it and it was so, it, it basically started, I think it started the trend of minimum, minimum viable product, which I call minimum viable everything. It's just sell the damn thing going. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that, uh, it's totally fine to not get it right. Uh, and you normally won't. And the most important thing I think is to, uh, ask for feedback. So once you create something being open to making it better as you go, and that has allowed us to move quickly, uh, creating things, uh, implementing fast. I think about the CO Alliance and how many, how many like just golden nuggets every time I take away and think, what's like the fastest way I can try this on and think to evaluate the, the uh, impact of it and keep what works and let everything go that doesn't, you know? So it's just that, um, kind of relentless. Uh, it feels like maintaining the startup mentality in this now medium sized company that, you know, um, I have the honor of, of sitting, sitting in, you know? So, uh, it is that mentality of just shipping things, not being scared of it being right. Uh, it normally won't be. And, uh, and just that curative process of eliciting feedback and, and, um, yeah, I don't know. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you. May, thank you for sharing all the insights and ideas. And um, it, it certainly it's kind of obvious as to why Organifi has had the crazy growth that it's had as well. You're a spectacular leader and a great addition for the CEO Alliance. And um, I really appreciate all the time you had for us today. Thank you so much, Cameron. Um, great discussion. Always appreciate how much value you pour into this and uh, appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You've been listening to Second in Command with Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. To learn more best practices from industry-leading COOs, please visit COOalliance.com.